I'll figure it out. Thanks. All right, Karen, your husband, move your mic right over there. Just trying to keep track of things. Well, good morning. Isn't it encouraging to see all those kids? Like, wow, and hugs and everything else. Isn't that great? It is great. Isn't it encouraging to hear the word of the Lord? Those last couple of verses in... In Psalm 23, or Psalm 27 that we wrote, read, man, isn't it encouraged when you, you can talk, when you can actually speak words? That is, I'm praying for some encouragement today. It says this in verses 13 and 14 of Psalm 27, I believe that I, I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Such encouraging words, right? And when we hear the word of the Lord, our, our hearts are stirred up in us. We're strengthened by the Spirit, by the Word, to keep pressing on. And it's good. God is gracious to us. Well, if you don't know, I'm Andrew. I'm uh, the senior pastor here um, for a couple more weeks, three more weeks after today. Um, and so we're, we're gearing up for transition. Actually, we're in the midst of it. We're, we're gearing up for new things on both sides. So you're gearing up for new things here, and, um, and Lester's just checking the live stream for us. It's up and running, I'm glad. And, and our family's gearing up for new things in Lisbon, and I believe that God is going to do good things in both places, that we are going to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Because we don't have to wait to heaven to see the goodness of God. In fact, we can see the goodness of God in some really unique places, can't we? Now, it it takes a little something to see the goodness of God. I, I think it takes Christ's work in us of transformation. It takes the work of the Spirit that gives us ears to hear and eyes to see God's goodness. So we are not like the group of frogs traveling through the forest when two of them fell into a very deep hole. And the ones that did not fall in are standing around the hole, up top going, hey, down there, are you okay? And the two frogs in the bottom of the pit are like, ah, we can't get out, can you help us? And the frogs up top said, no, the hole is too deep, we can't help you, just give up and die. Isn't that sometimes like the message the world gives us? Hey, that pit is too deep. That relationship is too far gone. That struggle is too hard. Just give up and die. But those two frogs in the the bottom of the pit, they started jumping and jumping and jumping. And they're talking together. Hey, is there anything else that we can do to help each other get out of this pit? And one of them goes, no, it's too deep. I'm just going to give up and die. And he does. But the other one keeps jumping and jumping and jumping even higher and higher. And from up top, they're going, hey, stop. Just give up and die. Just give up and die. But he keeps on jumping. He keeps on jumping. And finally, he jumps out of that hole. 
And the frogs up top said, hey, couldn't you hear us? And he said, no, I'm very hard of hearing. What were you saying? We said, oh, just give up and die. And he said, I thought you were encouraging me the whole time. Sin has been a deep pit, right? Sin, this thing that came into the world through Adam and Eve's choice to rebel against God that is passed down to each and every human being. It's a deep, deep pit. And it causes all kinds of problems in our lives. And the world will stand around that hole and go, just give up and die. Or maybe even worse, they'll say, hey, just satisfy yourself on the journey. Just find something that will give you relief while you're in that pit. But Jesus, he he doesn't just encourage us. He actually encourages us by coming into the pit and pulling us out of the pit. And he did that by giving his very life for you. He did not count equality with God. We believe that Jesus Christ is God. He is the second member of the Trinity. And while that is a mind-blowing reality, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he came into the pit with us. And he laid down his life because he loves us. And then he rose again claiming victory over sin and death. And then he ascended on high and took his rightful place over all things. And then he shares with us that glorious inheritance. That is amazing. And that's the truth of the gospel, that Jesus Christ has done everything to set you free from sin and death. And he's given you everything to enjoy life like never before. And that's a gift of grace. It's not something that we can earn. It's not something we deserve. It is a gift that he gives us freely to accept by faith. So this morning, I I just want to start here. If If you don't believe that you have a vibrant, life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to just say, it's so easy. All you have to do is go, Jesus, I believe that I was in a pit, and you're the one that delivers me. And I accept that gift. And then trust that that is enough, because it is. It is a gift of grace through faith, believing that Jesus has saved us. And then we're filled with the Holy Spirit, and then we're able to hear the encouragement of the heavenly hosts cheering us on through life. And we become that encouragement for one another. And I love some of the pictures of that kind of courage and that kind of encouragement throughout Scripture. And we're going to look at one of them this morning in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Uh, For the next uh, several weeks, for the rest of the month of October, we're just going to camp out in Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 um, is a a passage we've looked at um, a lot. We've been in Ephesians a number of times. 
Um, The book of Ephesians is very instructional to us as believers in both uh, what Christ does for us or in us, and then what Christ does through us or as we're with him. And we've looked at it many times, and and maybe you come and you go, oh man, I've read Ephesians so many times that... I just invite you, would you just come with with a fresh heart, fresh ears to hear the words of Ephesians? It's a powerful book. Paul's writing from prison to the believers in Ephesus. Now, Now I want you to hear that. He's writing from prison. He's been arrested. We're told in chapter 3, because he has shared the gospel with Gentiles. He's been preaching everywhere he goes, and all of a sudden, lives are changed. And even in Ephesus, like there was such turmoil because Paul was preaching the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is powerful. It will change cities. It will change communities. It will change people. It will change churches. The power of the gospel is amazing, and it brings us into this relationship with Jesus Christ that we can be encouraged by the Spirit. So that even if we're in prison, there is joy and there is purpose. So let me just read these three verses, and then we're just going to unpack one simple phrase together. So if uh, you have your Bibles, I just invite you to follow along there. It will be on the screen, um, but it's great if you can open your paper copy or your digital copy and follow along. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. All right, so here's, here's my phrase this morning that I hope you walk away with, and um, now I can see that this slide somewhere didn't get up there. That's okay. Here's the phrase. It's simple enough that you can remember it. You don't have to see it. You're going to remember it. A prisoner urging eagerly. Okay, if you walk away with nothing else this morning and you uh, have a copy of the scriptures, you can go back to Ephesians 4 and go, okay, I need to look for these three words. A prisoner urging eagerly. Paul, a prisoner for the Lord. Paul, very literally, is a prisoner. He's writing from prison. But, but, but that's not the identity that he wants us to see that he's taking on. He's saying, I'm a prisoner for the Lord. Now, uh, that preposition is literally in the Lord. I'm a prisoner in the Lord. Like I've been taken captive by the Lord. And so he's constrained to obey the call of Christ on his life. Whatever that means. but he's literally a prisoner. The metaphor's not lost on him, and so he's using it as he communicates to the Ephesians. So in chapter 3, we 
can read in verse 1 that he's a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of the Gentiles. And so I think he's trying to encourage these Gentiles that, hey, I'm on mission. I'm a prisoner with purpose. Paul was so transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was so transformed through faith in Jesus Christ. His life was completely different, radically changed. Paul was a religious zealot. He was a Pharisee. He was a Jew of Jews. He had excelled in his class. He was following that religion of the Older Testament in its legalities, trying to earn his way to heaven. And Christ comes on the scene. And Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And those would have been incredibly offensive words to Paul. First of all, this man who's walking, this flesh and blood man, is claiming to be God. And then he says he's the only way to God. That's an incredibly offensive thing still to this day. That Jesus is the only way to salvation, to peace with God. Paul was so incensed by that that he began persecuting believers all over the region. He was out to snuff out Christianity until Jesus knocks him off a horse, literally, and changes his life forever. And then all of a sudden, Paul becomes this apostle, this sent one, this proclaimer of the good news to the Gentiles. And he says, not only am I literally a prisoner in prison for you because I was preaching to you and people didn't like that, so they arrested me. And now here I am in prison for your sake. So be encouraged, Ephesians. You can still have joy amid trial. You can still live life, a spiritual life, even in prison. The light of the gospel shining in Paul and through Paul was radiant even in prison. But it's just not for that purpose that he's writing. He's actually writing as a prisoner on purpose because he says, God has so changed me that now I'm part of the body. I'm chained to Christ and that means I'm chained to you. There's a poet, Annie Johnson Flint, that says it this way. Constrained by love alone, by cords of kindness bound, the bond slave of the living Christ, true liber- liberty he found. Oh, happy those who see in poverty and pain, in weakness and in toil, their father's, their father's golden chain. Who feel no prison walls, though shut in narrow ways, and through, though in darkness fettered fast, can still rejoice in praise. From sin's dread bondage bought, they own their master's ward. They bear the brand of Christ, blessed prisoner of the Lord. Paul's saying, I'm a prisoner to Christ. I've been chained to Christ. 
It's this metaphor that for him explains the Christian life. Like, I can't go anywhere without Jesus now. We're locked together. He has captivated me. He has consumed me. And he has explained in other places and in Ephesians, before we get to chapter 4, that we're locked together in Christ. And so Paul is saying, I'm a prisoner in Christ for your sake, and I'm here to encourage you. I'm here to challenge you. He's a prisoner on purpose, and he's a prisoner with responsibility. He goes, just because I'm in jail doesn't mean that my responsibility as a prisoner of Christ is over. And he begins to set an example for us. Sometimes when we read Scripture, we want to pay attention to the instruction of Scripture. And that's true, and we'll get to what Paul instructs for these believers in Ephesus. But this morning, I really want to focus on the example in Scripture. Because we see a picture in Paul's life, which I think the language of this text really draws out. And so he's saying, I want you to see that I'm a prisoner. I I want you to understand that concept and our relationship as prisoners together in Christ. That it's on purpose and with responsibility that I write to you. Because you need encouragement to live something out. Paul is a prisoner urging. Now, in the context of these three verses, we often jump to the verb to walk. We often jump to the instruction. We go, okay, Paul is encouraging them to walk in a manner worthy. And yes, he is. But I think we miss the example that Paul is laying for us. So there is instruction here, but I think maybe even more importantly, there is example here for us. The primary verb in these three verses, in this one sentence, is urge. And, and eagerly is actually modifying that verb. It's accentuating that verb. And so he's not saying, hey, to walk eagerly. He's saying, I want to urge you eagerly because there's something at stake, the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He says, so I want you to see my example. I'm a prisoner for your sake, on purpose, and still feeling my responsibility to encourage you to live like me. Paul is famous to say, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. And that's what he's doing here today. He said, I've just unpacked all of these wonderful realities of in Christ. We're seated in him. We're chosen in him. We're adopted in him. Those are amazing realities, and yet we still kind of feel the bondage of this life, this world. And he goes, okay, so we're prisoners, but we're prisoners in Christ. We have purpose, and we have responsibility. And I want to be a prisoner urging you. The word for urge there is parakleto. Parakleto means to encourage boldly, to urge consistently. But you may, if you have been around the church much, you you may recognize that word because parakletos, the noun, is actually used as advocate, like Jesus, and helper, like spirit. 
And so here we have a picture of Paul saying, hey, I want to urge you, I want to paraclete you, I want to strongly encourage you to continue in this action, this ongoing thing of drawing one to yourself, of encouraging, of helping, of being an advocate, of being a helper along the way. Now, it is so encouraging that we have an advocate, isn't it? Our advocate, Jesus Christ, who sits at the right hand of God the Father, who is interceding on our behalf continually. We have a high priest who can sympathize with us, that says, I understand, and welcomes us into the throne room of God. Come on in, come on in. That's the advocate we have. And so Paul says, hey, as prisoners, this is on purpose. Whatever you're facing in your life, God has a purpose for it. Wherever God has taken you, even to prison, God has a purpose in it. And even from that place, you can live out the life of Christ. You can be an advocate for one another as Christ is our advocate before the Father. And so Paul's just saying, hey, would you live a life like Christ together because we're chained together. Now, it'd be fun some Sunday to just get a long piece of rope and have everybody stand in a line and just rope our feet together with, you know, just enough rope in between to make it interesting. Okay, you know, three-legged race in the Iwana Olympics, that was my jam, Back in the day, running the Iwana Olympics, we'd go to the Olympics, and uh, me and, you know, just about anybody, because that was my jam. But I had one partner, he was a little shorter than I was, I could just kind of pick him up, and we, we would just, whoo, fly. But I'll tell you what, the one thing you don't want to happen in the three-legged race is for that little Velcro thing to get loose. Because if you got a little slack in that, all kinds of things get a little wonky. Can you imagine if we tied ourselves together just for like an hour? How would that be? But the reality is, the spiritual reality is, we are connected. We are tied together in Christ. And Christ is tied to us. And Paul is saying, would you realize that we're prisoners together, we're tied together, and for us to continue forward well, we need to urge each other well. We can advocate for one another because Christ is our advocate. We can help each other because we have the Holy Spirit who is the helper, the comforter, who indwells us who illuminates Scripture to us, who convicts us of sin, who pushes us back to Jesus, who brings us together, who gifts us so that the body can function well, and all of those things we need to encourage in one another. Being connected to Christ and being connected to one another is our spiritual reality. And Paul says, even though I'm in prison in Rome, I'm writing you, I'm urging you eagerly because this is so important. 
It's fall, so I've seen a lot of geese. We see them twice a year, you know, when they go up north and then when they come back. And then, you know, every other time of the year, too, because some of them stick around and they try to cross the street and they don't know how. And uh, they poop everywhere. (laughs) But geese are actually fascinating, fascinating creatures. Geese fly at 40 to 50 miles an hour. Okay, you don't want to get hit by a goose flying. And they fly in a V because it creates an updraft. So everybody in the V benefits, and they can fly 70 times farther together than they can alone. Man, when we follow Christ well, and when we realize that we're bound together, and we understand the urgency of our calling, and we go, hey, I want to encourage you, I want to urge you this way, come on, come on, and we actually get in step together, we can go a lot further than we can on our own. We can overcome sin, we can experience joy, we can experience life. We can experience the working of God through us collectively. When we are unified, we go further together. And then, you know, geese fly over and you hear the honk, 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 honk. And I I like to think, man, somebody in the back is complaining. Are we there yet? Hey, can you fly a little faster, a little slower? Now, I don't know how scientists have figured this out. I don't know if anybody speaks goose. And so when some, you know, you know, they're flying over and somebody goes, oh, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, yeah. But the theory is that it's only the geese in the back that are honking. The lead goose doesn't honk very much. Because the geese in the back are going, hey, let's go. You can do it. Keep going. Woo! Now, I don't know if that's true, but I like the idea. That that honking of the geese is really them cheering each other on to keep going. And that's what Paul's doing. From his prison cell, he's writing a letter to say, Hey, keep on going because we can go further together. He's urging this continual action. Keep going. He's urging eagerly. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Eager, that word eager, is connected to urge. Paul is eager to see the unity of the Spirit maintained. He's so passionate about this that he's writing from prison. He's so passionate about this, he's in prison. This is so important. He's urging eagerly. Our family's been dog-sitting two different dogs uh, this weekend. Um, Asa found out that he could make money if he said yes to uh, dog-sitting. And uh, so he's become kind of a busy guy. The catch is he doesn't drive yet. And so, you know, he needs help. So 
Um, you know, often it's one of his siblings, but sometimes it's me. And so Ace and I tag team this weekend to uh, watch Princess Leia, uh, a Boston Terrier, little, little tiny dog with a little nose that kind of goes like this. And um, she can't breathe. So it's like... <laughs> and, and then um, Robbie had a wedding this weekend that he and his girlfriend went to. And uh, Robbie's moved out in with some buddies and took his dog, Shakespeare, with him. And so we had Shakespeare back this weekend, too. Now, Shakespeare's a bigger dog. Um, we don't know what he is. He's a combination of a lot of things. Um, but he's a bigger dog. But these two dogs, one little small... <laughs> And one, you know, that just lets his tongue hang out to the ground. <laughs> they, have, they have one very pronounced thing in common. They both pull. Okay? They're eager. They're like, hey, let's go. And so every time we went to our friend's house to take care of Princess Leia, she was like, oh, yes, great, let's go. She'd run to the door. She'd be jumping, jumping, get the leash on as fast as you can. Come on. Vroom. That's eagerness, right? This morning, I was taking Shakespeare out, like 5.30 in the morning. And um, last night, we had pizza. It was a day late. Friday's usually pizza night, but there was other things going on. So last night, we had pizza. And my kids said, hey, can we get Costco pizza? I said, sure. Okay, so we got a Costco pizza. Okay, um, that, that beats just about any pizza deal. Okay, but, but it didn't look like it was going to quite be enough. So we had a pizza in the freezer. So I grabbed that and I put it in the oven and I went outside just for a minute, right? Somewhere I was cleaning up some things that I'd been working on through, throughout the day. And somewhere in there I went, oh no. And I ran back inside and this thing was just charred. <laughs> Done. Okay, you turn off the oven, you let it cool down because it's going to melt the garbage bag right now. It cools down. I put it in the garbage. I put it outside. I put the can lid on. Something in the middle of the night went, pizza, burnt pizza, yes, and worked really hard to get the garbage lid off and spread that pizza as far as it could. So I walk outside the door this morning with Shakespeare on a leash, and he smells pizza. Whoa! He was eager to get at that pizza. And Paul's that way in this letter. It's like, oh, I want you to understand these things. I want you to live in light of these things because the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace is such a beautiful thing. And if we can figure it out how to maintain that, if we can encourage each other like Paul is encouraging us today, if we can hear his example, see his example, and follow his example as he's chasing after Christ, Man, God's going to do some amazing things in this body of believers, in a body of believers in Lisbon. And Paul's saying, man, I just want to encourage you. Be prisoners together. Walk together. And I want to do it eagerly because I'm so excited about what God's going to do. I can't wait to see what God's going to do in you. Maintain the unity because there's so many things God wants to do. Paul's given us an example. And in the example, I think there's more importance than just in the instruction. So we have to bring the two together. But I want you to see the example. And I want to ask you, is that how we encourage each other? And I'd just say there's room to grow there. 
There's room to grow there. Do we encourage each other with such eagerness that we go, oh, there's good things right around the corner, so let's work together, let's walk together, let's stay together. Let's be in this together because guess what? Like it or not, we're chained together. And we're chained to Jesus. Is that the kind of drive that we have for one another? Now, the instruction is how we do that, but I want to sit here and just go, do we see the example? Are we ready to follow the example to encourage each other that way with such eagerness to maintain unity? Are we quick to give an encouraging word? Are we quick to pray for one another? Are we quick to just kind of minimize offenses? Are we quick to encourage peace between people? The reality is, unity will always be threatened this side of heaven. Unity will not be easy this side of heaven. There's so many little tactics that the Satan uses, the devil uses, our enemy uses to pull us apart. That's his goal. He wants to divide us. So are we eager to encourage one another? No, 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 no. Don't let that divide you. No, no, no. Seek peace. No, no, no. Say that encouraging word. Let's go, let's go, let's go. There's room to grow in that. In our families, in our church, between our churches, can we eagerly encourage one another as prisoners in Christ. All right, so, so what, are we, what are we encouraging one another to? To walk well. To walk well. You go, I know how to walk. Okay, this is a different kind of walking, okay? So it's, it, it is putting one foot in front of another, but this is a different kind of walking. This is spiritual walking. Walk worthy of your calling. That word calling is such a powerful word. God has called us to himself. But Paul puts three little modifiers on that in his different letters. He puts several, but I liked these three. That calling is to holiness. That calling is to be like Jesus. I'm listening to an audio book and the author in one chapter, I'm still wrestling with this, but I, I want to throw it out there and let you wrestle with it too. The author, uh, Brett McCracken, cool name, okay? Brett McCracken. He doesn't have an accent, but I always want to give him one. He says, you know what? The evangelical church today tends to focus on brokenness. I'm broken, you're broken. And that's true. There's brokenness in our world, right? But he makes a compelling argument to say, but that's not our truest identity. Our truest identity is holiness because we've been bought back. We've been bought out of brokenness. We've been redeemed out of brokenness. We are becoming like Jesus who is holy. And he said, I'd just love to see what would happen if the evangelical church today started to focus on holiness in encouraging ways, not legalistic, not guilt-driven ways, but in encouraging ways if we said, hey, you're holy, so live like it and let me help you. That's what Paul's doing here. He's saying that call is a call to holiness. It's a call to be like Jesus. So can we 
Can we acknowledge brokenness? Sure, but can we not live there? Can we not take that on as our primary identity to say, well, I'm broken? No, you're holy. In Christ, you are holy. And do we eagerly encourage each other with that? This calling is to hopefulness. Are you filled with hope today? Man, circumstances might be bleak. Paul's in prison, but he's going, I'm full of hope. I'm full of hope that God is still at work. I'm full of hope that the gospel is going to change lives. I'm full of hope that even in this context of being in prison, God's doing amazing things. Man, are we full of hope that, yes, our country's a mess. But, man, God's doing some things. Are we full of hope that, yes, we're in the midst of a hard transition, but God is doing things? This calling is to hopefulness, and can we encourage that in one another? Brother, sister, you seem down today. Let me just encourage you urgently. Man, this calling is to hopefulness. We have hope because we know the end of the story. And this calling is heavenward. It's heavenward. We are called to an amazing reality. We're called to this place where God dwells and where we will dwell with him. Where sin is no more. Where sickness and death have been done away with forever. We're going to a place of perfection. That's our calling. And it's such a glorious calling. Do we encourage each other that way? Hey, hang in there, brother, sister, because heaven's coming. Hang in there. Stay firm to the end because heaven is worth it. Do we eagerly encourage each other to holiness, to hopefulness, and to heaven? I pray that we'll grow in that and follow Paul's example. All right, some tangible things. How do we live this out? With humility. With humility. Just thinking about others as maybe more important than yourself. That's humility. Putting others first. Laying down your life for another. Humility is walking in the example of Jesus. Who though he was in the form of God, who was God, he did not count that equality something to be clung to. No, but he humbled himself. You may have advantage in this room. Humility is to say, I'm not going to use that advantage for myself. I'm going to use that advantage for others. So as we encourage each other eagerly, as we're prisoners together, to just go humbly, hey, I'm going to put you first. I'm going to help you out. I'm going to take what God has given me for advantage, and I'm going to use it for the good of others. With gentleness, sometimes we can take our advantage and use it for others like a sledgehammer. Boom! But he goes, don't do that. No, no, no. With humility and gentleness. To be gentle. It probably doesn't need much explanation. On one of our walks with Shakespeare yesterday, we were walking and we saw a dad with a very little baby on a walk. Beautiful day. And I love seeing dads walk kids. 
And he was holding this baby with gentleness. He was looking at this baby with pride, just and gentle. He was going to protect that baby no matter what. Gentleness. Do we have that for one another? With patience. Okay, this isn't easy, okay? People are frustrating. I know. I'm frustrating. I know. So we have to have patience with one another. I'm so grateful that the fruit of the Spirit includes patience. The Spirit, our paraclete, our encourager, our comforter, our guide, He will produce patience in us if we ask. Do you get into those situations with your spouse or with somebody in our fellowship or with somebody outside in your workplace and you go, I'm done with patience? Man, just pause in that moment. Be quick to say, God, by your Spirit, would you produce patience in me right now? Those are the prayers God just loves to answer. Bearing with one another in love. We have a ways to go. I don't know, it seems like the end days, I know. seems like everything's about done and Jesus is going to come again, but I think every generation of believers has thought that. So I don't know how far we have to go, but we have a ways to go. Because Jesus hasn't come back yet. And it might be tomorrow, but I bet you something's going to frustrate you today. So can I, as a prisoner in Christ, as a fellow prisoner together, can I urge you eagerly, let's put up with each other. Because God's doing something here. He's doing a great work here. He's stirring in our hearts here. He's moving in our midst here. And there's more to come. So let's bear with one another in love. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you, Lord, that that you are our advocate. You are the perfect advocate. Lord, we're not always going to get it right. But you always get it right. And Father, it is our prayer that we would become more like you. Father, you sent your spirit to dwell inside of us. You're always with us by your Spirit, and you're conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ by your Spirit. You're doing it. Oh, we're grateful, Lord. Thank you. But, Father, your Spirit desires unity because there is no division in you. And so, Father, let us hear Jesus eager encouragement. Let us hear Paul's eager encouragement. Let us hear the eager encouragement of this morning. Lord, by your Spirit, help us to walk worthy. And Father, help us to encourage one another for the long haul.
Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.